hello everybody. Welcome to the uh, June 25th, 2020 QPSC. As a reminder, again, I guess this is our, our third or fourth time doing it in light of COVID-19 and in accordance with government health and safety regulations, we're going to continue to have socially distanced meetings. So this meeting is again being conducted in virtual format. Uh, there's no public meeting space associated with this. Um, a message from Dr. Ballard. She's still in the waiting room. Actually, no, Dr. Ballard, I see you here. Dr. Ballard, in any case, uh, Micah, uh, I got a text uh, from Dr. Ballard that says she can't see us. Dr. Um, Bouquet, this is Satira. I also wanted to let you know that when I got the invite, um, uh, Dr. Ingenio was not on the invite and I was not comfortable forwarding it to him. Okay. Uh, it can so, be forwarded to him. Thank you. Please. Um, at, to, so where was I? Remember, there's no public meeting space associated with this meeting. Uh, uh, we're about to go into roll call and a reminder that at our convention is to move directly into closed session, which is, of course, an 1157 protected discussion where we discuss confidential matters related to credentialing, uh, accreditation, and risk management. So if you're not directly related to one of these discussions, uh, general counsel will put you back into the waiting room and then we'll let you back in and we'll, you can rejoin us when we go back into open session. So uh, with that, let's do roll call, please. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. We do have a quorum. Okay, with that, um, team, let's move into closed session. Okay, so <clears throat> just for purposes, the uh, closed session is considered the credentialing reports and certain trade secret or litigation protected matters under the uh, government code. Hello, everybody. Um, we are back in open session. For those who are joining us, welcome to the uh, June 25th, 2020 QPSC. We just finished closed session where we discussed uh, items of credentialing related to the medical staff. We'll move now to item B on the agenda, the consent agenda. For the trustees, may I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda, which includes items B1, the minutes, B2, policies and procedures, 21 from Highland, four from Alameda, one standardized, and six um, medical staff uh, uh, specialty uh, privilege forms from the departments of anesthesiology, emergency medicine, surgery, and hospital. Trustee Shaquin, I, I was lip reading, and he 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 uh, he seconded that motion. <laughs> Is that correct? Correct. Um, uh, uh, I'll now open it up for dialogue on item uh, consent agenda item B. Any discussion? Points of discussion? It was a lot of reading for all of us who were involved. Trustee Hernandez, any comments or questions on the consent agenda? No. Trustee Shaquin? No. no. Excellent. Barring that, all in favor of approving consent agenda item B? Aye. Opposed? Aye. None. Abstentions? None. Item B carries, and we close out item B. Wow, we're ahead of time. I like that. We'll, not, we'll now move to um, uh, the QPSC chair discussion. Um, uh, how shall I open? I, I, I kind of earmarked 15 or 20 minutes on this, and um, I want this to be a dialogue amongst the uh, the, the, those who are here. Obviously, it's a, a tumultuous time in America right now, and, and we here at AHS, uh, our state is paralleling what's happening around the country. Issues of health, specifically around COVID, issues of financial stability and the financial viability of, of the economy and, and our own local economy, 
and of course issues of race. When we talk about healthcare quality, which is the province exactly of this committee, um, we need to return to the fundamentals. So I know you know where I'm going with this, everybody. Let's talk about steep safety, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equity, and people-centeredness. That, that third E, equity, uh, I think anyone who, who comes to work in this organization appreciates that what, where we've gone on a journey, we cannot have a high quality uh, healthcare organization without elements of equity. And we should remind ourselves that, that with institutional racism, there, that there is not the equity that we need. Um, uh, I, I think people have asserted that, that racism is a challenge to equity, therefore is a challenge to the quality of care. And, and as included in one of the three articles, I would submit that it is, it is a public health emergency, racism. So with that, we have three readings in the packet, two of them very powerful statements. Uh, one uh, of these is written by three of our own uh, internal medicine residents who are all uh, uh, African-American residents. Um, I'll, I'll note that I believe they are scheduled to read this in public comment at the full board of trustees. I hope you guys have read those words. They're, they're, they're powerful and they, they actually come from within. The next is uh, from the New England Journal of Medicine. Actually, uh, Trustee Jensen had previously sent this, this one around. Um, and another powerful uh, statement coming out of the, the most, one of the most venerable journals in medicine, the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, I, I, I like, to, I strive to be pragmatic when I can. Uh, and what I liked about that article is they actually tried to give some pragmatism about things that can be done. They're big and bold things, but I want to review for us the five things, five practices that they assert can help us to dismantle structural racism and improve the health and well-being of the, both the black community and hopefully our country at large. Uh, this, these are, this is the last page of that article. It's one divest from racial health inequities. And uh, there's a lot of commentary on our payer system and how that, that lends to inequities within the payer system. Two, desegregate the healthcare workforce. Um, read, that, read that component. Three, make mastering the health effects of structural racism a professional medical competency. I thought that was an innovative recommendation. Four, mandate and measure of equitable outcomes and five protect and serve i i i thought it i thought it was a i thought it was a i thought it was a powerful article it was strong and it and it and it, and it gave some uh it gave us an opportunity to look at ourselves last but not least in the in the three of the packet and then i'm going to open it up to dialogue is the, uh, the last i chose the last example as an example of big moves that can be made. Uh, personally speaking, I believe that declarations of identity are important. Um, it's not everything. It starts with declarations, in my opinion, and then it has to be, you got to put the rubber to the road and do the right stuff behind it. So a declaration in of itself isn't, isn't the end all be all. But I personally believe that declarations are important. Um, in, this, in this instance, Dallas County, uh, actually where I'm from, declared racism to be a public health emergency and made it a resolution. I found that to be actually pretty powerful. And it made me wonder about declarations that we can make 
we've made some big declarations around here, caring, healing, teaching, serving all. It, it, it becomes a true north to what we, to what we do. Uh, we, we can still do more declarations on top of that. So I'm going to step off my pulpit for a second, and uh, there's the three articles, and I, 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 I earmarked, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of our time to have a little bit of dialogue. I know Zoom isn't the same way as being in the room together, but this, 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 is, this, is, this is the stuff, in my opinion. So I'll open, uh, I'll, I'll put people on the spot since it's Zoom. And Trustee Hernandez always is a shining light on these dialogues. So <laughs> Trustee Hernandez, go. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm really happy to share something that really is hot off the press. As you know, uh, Del Vecchio and I are co-chairing um, Alameda Health Systems Initiative around health equity. And one of the things that we thought it would be helpful to do, uh, this is truly a draft, uh, but to create a statement or to create a vision around what our health equity initiative is all about. And um, with the magic of Zoom, I'm going to just uh, share a screen, but I will give this to our council so that it can be an official part of the um, minutes. Uh, this is the statement that's a draft. I hope that people will be comfortable giving some feedback and some thought to this, but here we go. Alameda Health System is committed to serve diverse communities of Alameda County with the highest quality of care for all. Our efforts to address bias and racism of all forms, interpersonal, structural, and societal will be guided by a dedicated diverse staff at all levels of our organization and an inclusive culture that respects and values diversity. Our services, our outreach to communities and the care we deliver to all patients will be driven by a dedicated focus on reducing health inequities and advancing health equity. Our work will be guided by diverse stakeholder engagement and institutional transparency on our progress towards health equity. I'll stop sharing. It's a draft, it's a starting point, but I believe also that we need to have a, uh, a really clear statement around this work so that we all know uh, the type of goals that we have set forth. I, I think that's a great statement, it's a great start. It asked myself, again, uh, being, being not so uh, in the general politic of savvy, uh, discussing whether there's an opportunity to make this a resolution. Does resolution give it weight or power? I, I defer this to you and our CEO and general counsel. I, I'm, I was here to bring up questions about, about declarations of ourselves. Where does that pledge live? If that pledge is up in front up front for people to see, then, then it becomes something. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the unfortunate default setting for many things is that it, it's, it's, it's relegated to the heap of other pieces of paper. And uh, I, I think this is an important time for us. And uh, I, I, I'd like to see us give weight. So I, I, I applaud you and, and, uh, and uh, Mr. Finley for, for, for taking that part of the charge. Yeah, we're open to feedback and it certainly is gonna be circulated further within all of the members of the um, HETI uh, committee. And I believe we'll come up with a finely tuned statement and whether that becomes something we publish somewhere, I, I will leave to the rest of the board. Uh, but I believe this should be at least uh, listed somewhere in our uh, pledge 
uh, around health equity that uh, maybe is on our website at the very least. Yes. Further commentary from anyone? Trustee Shaquin. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I appreciate the statement. It's uh, strong and thoughtful. I do worry uh, not about the statement, I just worry in general um, about accountability um, and how essential accountability is to this race equity question. Uh, I think a lot of um, a lot of the brothers and sisters in my life who are really hurting um, right now are hurting because of the broken promises over and over again. And um, institutions that have said they're going to do one thing and then have not done it. So I'm really interested in putting some teeth in anything we say that talks about measuring um, race equity and actually holding ourselves accountable to course correction when we find deviation from equity. Um, and this is it's easy, that's easily said. It's really hard to do it. But I've started thinking this way in the last couple months, actually. You may have heard me in the committee last month and um, at finance committee as well, I've said this, that race equity is a lens that I'm starting to use um, everywhere. And um, so, you know, there's, we need to consider whether something is paying for itself we need to consider where, whether it's meeting the standards of quality. And I also think we need to figure out whether it aligns with our values, particularly around race, race equity. I think there are some things we are doing, not a lot, but there's some things we're doing within Alameda Health System that do not line up with the incredible emerging need um, that... Uh, Populations of people of color have in our in Alameda County, and I and I worry about that. Um, we're going to have a conversation. I think about one of those in a moment. You know, could be there are good. There's good medicine. There's good mental health services, but maybe they're not necessarily uh, the sort of services that match with the social inequities that are showing up um, so dramatically in um, in our communities in Alameda County. So I, I refer to, I'll just finish up by saying, I'll, I'll refer to uh, what our resident physician said. And uh, at the end, they talk about justice. I'd like to hear from them a little bit more about what, what they mean by this. But there's a sense of justice being vertical, not um, horizontal. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, too. So I'd like to hear more from them. But this sense of uh, justice cutting across and cutting cutting through what we're doing. Um, you know, it, it, easier said than done, but I think that's that's the objective here that we need to have. Agreed. Thank you, Trustee Shaquin. Um, well, if I may comment just a little bit, there is um, some discussion coming up in our next uh, committee meeting of looking at equity as strategy, not a lens, because you can take your glasses off here and there and say, oh, I don't want to look at that. It's more about integrating equity inside all of the decisions. Remember that like one that. attempt that was made years ago, health in all policy, right? Um, good idea, good concept, but it, it hasn't necessarily been fulfilled. I think we do need to have at our system <clears throat> an agreement as a result of all of this work 
that we will look at every decision through the lens of, through this equity as strategy, not strategy. just something that we yeah as a strategy. I like that. So you'll, we'll be talking more about that later. Yeah. yeah, and 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 it makes sense that you know racism has economic cost, which Absolutely. which is sort of amazing. You know, I was reading uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in the early '60s when uh, things were coming to a head uh, and moves towards desegregation. I know I know many of the public parks in the South, which had pools, um, in a couple of instances. They chose to drain the pools so black people couldn't use them rather than, than, than desegregate and let them use it. So think about the economic cost to everybody. Mm-hmm. It affected everybody. And, and I think it, it just makes sense if we can, if, if we can, use, if we can see things through the, through the proper lens, you know, mm-hmm. focusing uh, on those who, who need the most right now serves us from a quality perspective and probably from a financial perspective as well. You know, not spending 70% of our healthcare dollars on 25% of the population, right? Because inequity of care has prompted them to be in the ICU for four weeks or six weeks. Mm-hmm. Just kind of amazing stuff. The uh, Again, back to that New England Journal of Medicine uh, article, five practices to dismantle structural racism. And again, who, who knows if these are the end all be all. I see these as prompts to our thinking. Divest from racial health inequities. That's a big thing uh, uh, as I read it. That's a payer system issue. We're probably not gonna have a direct short-term impact on that. Of course, we have an advocacy arm of this health system, which will continue, I think, to move towards that. But that's that's kind of big. Desegregate the healthcare workforce. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what they say in there is the healthcare workforce is predominantly white at essentially every level, from student and staff to CEO. I think we're fortunate in this organization and that we do better on this than most. And I said better. We, 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 don't do it, we probably don't do it great. Uh, I, I know there are issues which happen even at the medical staff level, many of which are around now. And, and I think being concerted about how we think about that is very important, but a big move as well. And that, that goes to HR and recruiting and, and how, we, how we do the calculus of hiring. Um, third, make mastering health effects of structural racism a professional medical competency. This was one of my favorites. Why? Because this one is doable now. <laughs> we can put this into a set of competencies for next year. Vet, vet the right kind of things. We, the, 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 the med staff has to go through competencies. Uh, this one makes sort of perfect sense, and it's it's doable and measurable. Um, so I put this one to our medical staff officers uh, and, and our director of medical staff services. Something to consider, because this is doable. Fourth, mandate and measure equitable outcomes. Well, guess what? This month, we're, uh, we're, we're about to go. This is our last month of the fiscal, and we're having a dialogue uh, in about three or four agenda items on our true north metrics. We've been struggling about equity metrics and we we really haven't been able to put down hard to small definables. We've done broad ones in the setting of QIP, et cetera, and the set et cetera. But I think this is a, a, an opportunity for us. I don't have the answer. Uh, so I, I, I want us to entertain that dialogue on what, what that right metric might be. 
Um, but I, I think that more than ever, it's incumbent upon us as a show to other organizations that we're, we're willing to put equity on our dashboard. And it'll probably be imperfect in iteration number one, but, but I submit we got to start somewhere. Last, protect and serve. I think we strive to do that in this organization. Uh, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's very generalized to me. I don't, I, I'd have to think about how we mechanize that. But at least two of those five, mastering uh, uh, the health effects of structural racism as a medical competency, and then picking a health equity outcome. These are the small measurable things that I think we can do uh, 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 as an organization to start out with. Dovecchio, sir, any comments? You're on mute. Yeah, Hi. it's like flashing a bunch of signals to me that I'm muted. Sorry about that. Hear <laughs> me now, right? Um, thank you. Um, uh, let me first thank you all for the for the discussion. I think uh, you know, I often say uh, uh, talk talk is not everything, but it's something, right? It's 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 getting us started. And uh, what I would um, I appreciate about this situation um, uh, and this discussion is uh, we started this conversation a while ago. We started this conversation well over a year ago, uh, which was the impetus with um, uh, Trustee Hernandez's support of starting the HEDI group. Um, and uh, I will share that I've been having a lot of informal communication with uh, staff up and down the organization about obviously the current state of affairs at both in, outside and internal to the organization. And there's a lot of uh, folks who uh, had heard a little bit about, maybe lost a little track of, or hadn't heard much about Hetty at all, but as they now are, just like the rest of the world, more people are focused on this, uh, and they're, they're, they're hearing it, they're happy to hear it. Some are asking questions about how they get, get engaged. Some who do about it actually said, well, you know, all due respect, sounds wonderful, sounds like a right path forward, but it sounds overly process it sounds like you know we need to do something and you're you're measuring you're doing an assessment we need to actually we know what's wrong we need to do stuff and um i that resonates with me i respectfully though said let me ask you to consider this um we it took us a while to get it up and going uh one you'll recall because we started and through this lens of um uh, representation with a group that was um um volunteer and we got people to speak up but when we constituted the group we felt like it didn't represent enough of the uh um the the complexity of the organization and representation across all the different uh clinical lines service lines up and down the organization in terms of staff representation so we intentionally laid off and said we're going to go back and do another push to get particularly frontline staff clinical and administrative into the groups and that took a, a little bit of time but i think it was time well worth it uh, that pushed us to being started in february like mid-february if you recall we did a kickoff we did a communication to the organization. I think someone reminded me the other day. That communication went out, out on March 10th, where we announced that the group had kicked off. Uh, we had everybody there. We had all the five different uh, groups. And, you know, what have we been doing since March 10th, right? It's just like, oh, my gosh. Um, uh, and it started with COVID. And then it, uh, the, the, um, these very poignant um, uh, um, crystallizing examples of uh, structure, structural racism uh, around our country uh, really captured people's attention when there was very little else to focus on, right? So now it's like, you know, no, 
I don't have to go to work. I'm going out to protest. I, I'm seeing this. I'm watching this at nauseam, and it's really, it's really upsetting me. So, um, so you know, it's taken time to do it, but I'm really excited that we're not just starting right now. Uh, that this would, if we're just starting now, doing even this, uh, it would be a real point of sadness for me that as an organization we're not we're not living our creed. You know, uh, but I think we are. And, and I remind people that this is not all that we're doing. We have, uh, with your support too, done a lot of other things around being an anchor organization, speaking to uh, who we contract with, with an eye towards uh, focusing on our community and, and the community that we serve, right? Uh, looking at some of our hiring practices, our HR committee often looks at uh, these numbers. We're not, we're not uh, pleased with them, but we're getting awareness of them as a basis of which to say we're going to do something about them. And we're going to struggle with this. And I, so, so I'd say where I'm happy is um, while we are struggling, and I think this is a good thing with the, um, with the dashboard and what we'll put there for equity, uh, I'll remind you of two things that were supposed to come out of the uh, task force. One is a set of uh, uh, action plans or recommended actions that we would prioritize. And the second is a scorecard. So based off of this uh, um, kind of best practice model, which we've done a little bit of modeling or, or revising to to bring it up to current times and to make it more reflective of the organization uh, or useful for the organization, that we're going to have a scorecard that says twice a year we take a deep dive and say, how are we looking? How are we doing? Right? And do we need to recalibrate Is something else more important than what we thought it was before? But putting in investment, attention, and resources around this is what uh, I understood to be the thrust of what we were we were um, aiming for here. And I love the collective engagement of all everyone uh, who, who's involved in it. It's taken a little time, uh, but I think because of the complexity of the organization, we're going to be better for it uh, because we'll have a little better sense of where to start to have the greatest impact and where to focus a lot of our, our, our attention and energies. But we've got a long way to go. And um, I'm confident and I feel really good that people are, they're going to hold us accountable. Um, uh, they're, they're asking us up and down the organization. People are talking very frankly publicly. Uh, they're talking very frankly anonymously to say, you know, I just don't like what I'm seeing in the organization. Uh, I will say, although I take the point from a strategy program, from this perspective of racism or uh, what we look like across different parts of the organization. And one of the mantras I've, I've, I've said to the um, exec team, as we talked about this, is lean into those conversations. Take that gift of people, uh, Dr. you like to say, feedback is a gift. Uh, <laughs> a gift of what people, people uh, are saying to us. And I said, take it personally, but don't take it personal. Take it personally because you know that that's what we're intending to do. And someone's saying, you're missing the mark. Here's an opportunity to do better. Here's an opportunity to see the world through my lens. And it's not necessarily about you unless this offends you. If this offends you, then maybe you're part of the problem. <laughs> because you're not, you're not willing to look this uh, head on. We can disagree, but, but I have a position here and it deserves to be heard. So listen to me um, and it may cut very deep. It may cut to the core, uh, but 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 don't take it personal unless it is personal. Take it personally because you're in a position of uh, you have a you have a position of authority. You have a position of privilege. You need to do something with this. Uh, and if you want to do good, you should be informed by people who can tell you where those opportunities exist. So, so I am I'm happy about this. I, I've had some conversations with people who said I had you know I felt uncomfortable saying this. Uh, but I've been really pleased because in many cases, people have come back and said, you know what, 
I'm sorry. I did not know it. Uh, I'm learning and I appreciate the opportunity. And I had one employee say to me, yeah, I felt uncomfortable doing this, but I've been so, uh, re I've been re-encouraged and re-inspired by the feedback that I got and the response I got throughout the organization that it validates that it was the right thing to do uh, and that it validates my confidence that this organization at its core does have values that align with mine. So, so that's, and I, and I said, you know, that'd be great if you repeat that to other people so that these conversations become less uncomfortable when we're all comfortable talking about them. We're all comfortable leaning into them and it means that we want to do something about them. Agree. We need to normalize the discomfort until it becomes yep. comfortable. Uh, so Vecchio, uh, uh, you, do you chair the head? I apologize for not knowing. Do you and Maria co-chair a Hedy? We do, yes. Uh, uh, may I ask for a report from the Hedy committee and what, 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 at what time frame do you think you guys would have something to report to us of substance? You need three months? I think Trustee Hernandez is giving one report out in uh, the full board meeting. Oh, uh, sorry, it's at the full board meeting. Got it. Uh, yeah, uh, but then we could we can um, figure out going forward uh, where, where, where's the best space to uh, place this, uh, largely probably driven by the feedback we get, but I don't, I don't know, Trustee Hernandez. Just, just a 30-second sort of frame of reference around that. We are currently going to hear from each of the subcommittees or task forces that we're looking at uh, a subset of activities. And that meeting is to begin the process of uh, prioritizing the items that need to be addressed and to consider the items that will go on that equity dashboard. Um, so we are truly trying to catch up based on the interruption that uh, COVID-19 created. Uh, everyone needed to really focus on those uh, other priorities, of course. And so right now, I think the amazing work that has been done is asking really tough questions about where we stand on some of those best practices. And now we're gonna come and look at that and say, you know, there's a lot here that we wanna do. There's only so much time. What are gonna be the top priority activities going forward and how do we measure to your point uh, trustee Shaquin, uh what do we put on that dashboard to keep our eyes on and not forget what we need to accomplish trustee Shaquin. yeah i had a, thanks uh trustee hernandez I, I i was just wondering as you were describing that um how specific are the items that you're referring to um really specific <laughs> <laughs> They're very, very um, detailed. Um, th give you a couple of examples. One is, um, are we tracking uh, the um, social determinants of health that exist in our service area to understand what our patients might be addressing? So what? where are the food deserts? Where are those housing issues? Where are transportation issues that create barriers to access? So do we do that yes or no is a simple answer but if we don't do it what's it going to look like in order to be useful moving forward right. and so that's just one kind of an example on on the other side of the coin uh talking about accountability one of those is are leaders held accountable to looking at the disparities that do exist the inequities that exist is that part of their performance plan or their responsibility. Again, if no one's looking at this, then it's not being managed. And I'm very happy to say that we have some practices 
that are actually being done well. Um, so there's strengths here that we can build on. But some of these are brand new. Some of them have not been thought about before. And it's very sobering and very rewarding to see that people are willing to look at those and say, wow, we really should do that. And take a step back and, and reflect, how do we do that? How do we implement it? Thank you. If, if I might, um, thank you. That's very, very helpful context. I was wondering, let me give you a, a, an example. So give some me. So last year, uh, going through our painful budget process, um, we actually looked at the amount of, the amount of money that uh, the system pays to have sheriffs um, on site at Highland. I actually believe they're on several sites. And so staff just Highland. Just Highland. Just Highland. Thank you. And, and staff did a you know a, an analysis of costs and actually went back and renegotiated. Um, a pretty expensive contract and got some savings from the sheriff's department. But at the time I felt uh, <laughs> that, that the question was not completely answered for me. And now I'm sure it wasn't completely answered because uh, I wonder what's the quality of those services from that contractor? What, what, and more importantly, what do our customers feel? How do our patients feel about now, one of the things I heard back from staff very strongly, and I think it's important feedback, is staff at Highland very much appreciate having the sheriff deputies on site. And that's a value. But I wondered then, and I really wonder now, what's it feel like um, for a, a black man to come in for services in our ED, and uh, right there's a, a sheriff's deputy? I, I, what's that like? Right. And, and I also wonder, uh, before this meeting, I thought about, it also occurred to me, I wonder if we have any complaints. I mean, we, you know, that would be kind of the place to start, right? Do we have a record of any complaints? And, and then the next step is doing some surveying of folks. So, so what do you make so with one, that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the items in our um, activities to review is to analyze our HCAP scores by demographic group. We get a general result on our dashboard now, but we don't see how do people of color look at the way they are treated at our hospital. And to me, that's a big miss. Um, we should be looking at that data and, and beyond race, it might be gender, it might be age group, right? Mm -hmm. So we do great when somebody's elder, maybe we don't do so well when someone's a millennial. And all of that diversity does need to be taken into account when we begin to use equity as strategy, that we look at the data through the eyes of, of, of that question, does everyone see us quite the same, right? You just asked that question and that is exactly what we need to be doing in some of those um, uh, analytics that I, I think will come from this, yeah. Agreed. Uh, Sorry, Dr. Barbaria, then, then uh, Delvecchio. No, I mean, I, um, we've been having a lot of these conversations in ambulatory, you know, as, as Delvecchio knows, he's joined us for some of them. And, you know, I, th I think there's obviously self-reflection, dialogue um, that needs to happen. But I think Trustee Hernandez's point is spot on, that if we're not measuring this and creating data is where that accountability will come from. And there are other organizations that literally 
every single metric and dashboard that the organization tracks, whether it's HR, finance, billing, you know, customer service, quality metrics, every single one is stratified by the various um, demographic data. And I, I personally would love to see our organization get there because there are probably blind spots that we're not even aware of. Yes. Yeah. So uh, to, to bring this agenda item to a close, number one, as, as I think about it more, uh, the health equity committee, um, equity is, is one of the E's of steep. Uh, I, I think this is the perfect place for them to land uh, to maybe be the springboard to the full board. So I look forward to discussing that with Dovecchio and Maria, how we, how we mechanize that into perhaps consideration of regular reporting to the QPSC. Uh, uh, item number two, I wanna say, Bravo to my finance chair. He talked about quality uh, for the sheriff's committee. So that's that's exactly what we want to be happening. So uh, uh, these moves are we're, we're talking about incrementalism here, uh, and we and it, it's frame shifting on our thinking. So bravo, uh, Mr. Chair. So with that, I'm going to close out item C, uh, the QPS chair report. I'm three minutes behind schedule. We're going to go to the medical staff reports. I want to remind everybody that we, we uh, two months ago, we moved the, 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 the bulk of the medical staff report to the uh, full, board of meeting, full board of trustees meetings so they could have a broader exposure. Um, uh, but we still, I wanted to keep a placeholder here for them to discuss any elements that they, that they might feel might be particular to the QPSC rather than the full board. So with that, I'll, I'll open up. Uh, Dr. Marzouk, any, any comments that that uh, that that you might want to tell us before your full board report uh, in an hour and a half or so? Um, no, not uh, really. Um, okay. Everything's uh, uh, been uh, self-explanatory and gone. But uh, primarily the privileges. Okay. Yeah. And so privileging yeah. was already discussed and closed. Again, this is just a placeholder, yeah. and of course. I, I suspect you have open session comments at the full board meeting, uh, which relate to yeah. issues. Of your, okay, excellent. Uh, Dr. Ingenu uh, from the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee, um, can you are, are there any comments that you uh, might need to offer this this committee, which are outside the purview of the full board meeting, in an hour or so? Dr. Ingenu, you on board? see him. Oh, he's there. You're on mute, Dr. Ingenio. All right, hold that. Dr. Ballard, any comments which uh, which need to be made using this this item? No, I think uh, I you know I mentioned the work being done around our credentials process in, okay. in the closed session. I do I do want to commend the entire medical staff for the rigor in which they taken on inquiries in the last year, particularly you included Dr. Bouquet, who have in a very fair-minded way looked into every single possible angle of all kinds of accusations and concerns about medical professionalism. So I'm really proud of the medical staff because they've done the hard work of having difficult conversations. And a lot of what we need to work on is um, how groups interact from department to department and geographic area in the hospital and geographic area in the hospital. So I think we've got, as they 
you know, as several different leaders in the past have said, the more you, the more work you do, the more uncover that you need to do more work. So yeah. that's kind of where we are right now. Got it. Um, uh, to go back into one of my mantras that, that our CEO said before, all feedback is a gift, especially the painful stuff, which is sort of the adjunct to that. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, chiefs of staff, uh, a couple of months ago, I, I migrated this big thing to the to the full board, uh, give give me feedback on that move. Again, the rationale was to give your voice to the full board because many discussions were happening here. And then when we got to the full board, we just referenced reference as, oh, we spoke about that in QPSC. Is this working for you or not? Or otherwise, please, please give me feedback. Who do you want to go first? You. How about you go first, Dr. Ballard? I think that the spirit of your request is honorable. I think that the way that our board of trustees is, is put together and the fact that it's a volunteer board and, and I respect every single member for devoting as much time and energy into this cause as possible. I think that it limits the amount of action that can actually come from the board as a whole. Hmm. And from that standpoint, I think saying it to the complete board and making that dialogue there, it puts it out there, but I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence at this point that true action can follow just because of the way the board is organized mm -hmm. and the fact that there's that limit to what well-meaning people with limited time and energy to devote to this cause can do. Mm -hmm. So I have to, I have to say I'm on the fence, Dr. Bouquet. Okay. Uh, well, I guess my response to you is thank you for that feedback. I, I, uh, I think that's the exact kind of questions which a full board would want would would, would be important for a full board to hear your, your inquiry into that. Dr. Marzouk or Dr. Ingenu, any comments with regard to this structural move we've made to give you give 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 you a brighter light at the full board and sort of dimming the light at the QPSC for you? Uh, I just to. Uh... I, I feel that uh, the presentation in the full board is uh, is more helpful. We may not be able to have as uh, thorough a discussion as we would in uh, our Q uh, SPC uh, meeting, uh, but uh, I think it's uh, nice that the full board uh, uh, hears it. Okay. Um, I, I can comment too. You know, I'm sorry, I had to step away for a second. They wanted me to urgently see a patient in the office. I apologize when you asked me before. Um, no, no problem. Um, I, um, I mean, I, I think it's valuable. I think it, it may be a little bit too granular at the board level at times, but you know, I think if we, you know, they can ask and hear whatever they want to hear or not hear mm. uh, the trustee wish. So um, I, I do think it's, it's appropriate um and I, I would sort of defer to the board i think doing it twice doesn't make any sense and the summary definitely gets watered down um, okay um so i i'm i'm still okay and so 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 i guess the feedback that i heard is there there are issues which are 
related to the governance and the functioning of the board, but as for this structural move to, to put your voice at the full board, there doesn't seem to be any opposition or, you, or, or let me better say, no harm or you don't feel like your voice has been watered down by doing that. Perhaps no, the no, I think it's better. I think it's okay. better. It's the opposite. They, I mean, okay. I, and my sense has been that they want to hear directly from us. Um, the board wants to hear. Yes. Okay. So with, with that, um, you guys have a full agenda item at the full board. I'm going to close out item D. We are uh, going to now move into item E. This is the SBU post-acute report um, from Richard Espinoza. Hi, Richard. Um, uh, as always, you, you should presume that your trustees have been good students and reviewed the packet. Uh, we strive for 75% dialogue, 25% uh, presentation, and a, a, as would be expected from you, it's a well-written report. Uh, trustees, it begins on, or anyone who's watching, this begins on page 194 of the packet. Hi, Richard. Hey, uh, thank you. Um, great dialogue. It, it seems like it's been a long time since I've reported, but uh, I think it's largely due to that there's been a lot of activity happening uh, out in the world. And so um, yeah. <laughs> I do want to start by saying, you know, the post-acute team has been incredibly flexible and um, nimble, uh, everyone in the units, uh, particularly with what's been happening with COVID and regulatory compliance. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes see regulatory changes happening a um, couple of times within one week. And so for the teams to be able to be nimble and to be able to educate and to um, get feedback on how that is with the staff when, when uh, a directive is one way one day and then it changes based on new information. And so the teams have been incredibly strong at this and so i just want to start by saying how proud i am of everyone in our in our svu for um all the work they've done they've done incredible work um as i laid out um as of today there have been no residents in the skilled nursing facilities or subacute units who have tested positive for covid which um to this date is pretty remarkable the teams have strong processes and strong um, plans that they're following, mitigation plans and strategies. And, and we have a very experienced team um, who really get this and who've been incredibly proactive. And so we started very early on um, when, our, when that uh, cruise ship came in, uh, which, was, which was good help for us. Um, but really everyone has pulled their resources and experiences and best practices. And we've shared that across the SBU and it's really proven to be effective. And, um, you know, I'll share, we had a conversation today with uh, public health uh, with Deborah Ellis and Janet and uh, some of our post-acute leaders as they're reaching out to us to help some of our community SNFs who are struggling with COVID in their buildings and we're um, planning to, to lend some support. And so I'm really fortunate um, to share that we have such great experience and expertise in this organization um, and people who are willing to share that with our community to, to see how we can help. And uh, I share that it feels really good to be able to do that, um, but really, um, just incredible to, to be shoulder to shoulder with people who have that level of expertise. Um, so we have, as one of the uh, regulatory components of COVID uh, for our buildings is to up our testing. And so um, testing has been a big uh, piece for us as 
testing uh, starts with um, baseline testing, which is testing every employee and every uh, resident in our buildings. And that's where we get our baseline. And so today, uh, of all the buildings that have been tested and all of the employees that have been tested, we have three positive employees and no positive residents. And so we're working closely with employee health and their providers to make sure that they're getting the care they need um, and uh, being really sensitive to um, their privacy as well. Um, but really good numbers for, for the amount of uh, residents we have and the amount of employees that we have in our SIU. Um, we're working uh, very closely with public health and CDPH. Um, I'm not sure if everyone knows, but an outbreak in post-acute for COVID is one positive resident or one positive employee, and you have an outbreak. Uh, and so, um, but the numbers and the volume that we have um, makes it difficult for us not to be in an outbreak mode um, or finding an employee who might have that. Um, and so when you do have a positive, you then move to weekly testing. And so that's, and I just put that in perspective for a building like Park Ridge, which is 120 residents, 150 employees. I mean, we're, we're doing about 300 tests a week. And, and we certainly couldn't do this without Dr. Ng and Faye and public health and uh, the whole post-acute team uh, to make something like that happen. Um, and with that frequency and, and uh, it, it's been a heavy lift and uh, a, a shout out to Tony Redman and to Terry Dixon and um, Felicia Turnabeni who've been helping us um, to produce and, and, and create our own testing team because mm -hmm. um, currently we're utilizing Highland Urgent Care and um, external resources that we are developing a team that will go to the SNF sites uh, so that the staff don't actually have to go elsewhere, but that they can be tested at the locations. And we're looking for that to take effect in July. So uh, I think that lends to, again, to the flexibility and the nimbleness of this team um, at AHS and how we move quickly, um, how we're able to kind of lead some of these efforts in our community so that we can help uh, not only our own organization, but others in the community. So that's something that we're really looking forward to uh, being able to do so that we can help our uh, staff stay in place um, rather than trying to be tested throughout. Um, from an as, as access perspective, the SBU has done really well um, in the sense that in terms of COVID, our census for the most part has not changed very much except for the last two weeks. And that's largely due to some new regulatory requirements about quarantining new admissions and, and making sure that new admissions are quarantined for 14 days in a building so that um, we're doing the best we can to isolate in case there is a positive case that pops up so we don't see big spread within um, the buildings. And so we've had to section off our buildings with some available rooms so that we can meet that 14-day uh, quarantine criteria, which has dropped the census slightly, but um, all for us following the proper recommendations and regulatory requirements that have been posed to all SNFs um, throughout the nation. Uh, so, uh, but up to now, the census is ahead of budget by a thousand patient days. Discharges are ahead uh, by 97 days. Um, our outpatient rehab services have just uh, restarted as of last week. Um, with shelter in place, we saw a lot of our patients uh, staying home. Um, and we saw that service line uh, really um, work with the physicians to see, do these patients really need to be seen? Is there an urgency? Can they wait for their safety 
um, and the safety of our staff. Um, and so we worked very closely um, with the physicians uh, to ensure that we weren't missing um, any uh, patients who might really need our services. So there was a very small population that we did serve of, of urgent services post-ops um, for those that were urgently needed. Um, but we've uh, submitted our restoration plan uh, to the ROC committee. It was approved. And as of last week, we started reopening the Alameda, Highland, Fairmont uh, outpatient services. So we're starting to see that grow. And we've done that all with um, the necessary mitigation plans for safety, social distancing, proper PPEs, uh, following the same testing that we do out throughout the organization with temperature taking, um, asking if they have any symptoms of COVID, uh, things of that nature. Uh, so a lot of work has happened. A lot of changes happened over the last several months, um, but, but the teams have adapted very well. Um, our acute rehab, uh, it's, you know, it seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, it's only been six months since we've moved into, uh, I like to call it the penthouse at San Leandro Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but the teams have done great. They, they, the physicians, the rehab team, the nursing teams um, have really done well in terms of um, collaborating with uh, the acute team and, and really sharing resources. And uh, the ARU has been incredibly elated by that because they were a standalone ARU before and now they're in a hospital, acute hospital. So a lot of those resources, we were transferring patients either to Highland or to San Leandro to have those services completed. And now a physician can just come upstairs and see one of our residents. And it, it really lends to patient satisfaction um, unnecessary transferring um, at this point now that we're all within the same uh, four walls. And so the services, I think, have, have just been heightened by us being within the acute setting. I think our, uh, you know, our patient satisfaction scores for the last uh, quarter were 86.4 on a budget, on a, on a, goal, a goal of 87. So we're right on target. Um, and so uh, I think it's just been great. It's it's they've adjusted well. They're prepared for joint uh, commission to return. We've been doing weekly rounding with that team, working with our physician teams, um, really just in integrating all of that work, and uh, it's it's been reflecting well on that unit. Um, we've uh, in the slides I've added some information just regarding clinical quality, effectiveness, patient throughput. One of the things I do want to point out for the ARU and and actually amongst the SNFs as well is that we're seeing our case mix index climb. And so for the ARU, they're at 1.56, and, and they're normally running about 1.1, which means the complexity of our patients that we're seeing are more complicated. They're, they're more, um, they have more comorbidities. Um, they're not just coming for the usual hip fractures and things of that nature. We don't see those anymore. It's, it's not that clean and easy any longer. And so with those clinical complexities and that um, elevated case mix index, we do see that our length of stay rises with that and our discharges have not been affected too much, but it does tend to lend for a shorter uh, or lower amount of discharges because the length of stay is slightly increased. And so I would say 80% of that is due to complexity of um, clinical complexities, um, but we still do have, I would say probably 10, uh, 15, maybe 20% with um, discharges uh, with uh, patients who need additional support or who may not have a home or a safe home to go to. And so we're working through those 
um, aspects as well, which does tend to add a day or two onto the length of stay. Um, but overall, the team has really done well. Last month, they were at uh, 26.5 census out of a 28. Um, so probably the highest that we've seen, uh, they, they've been full at 100% full before. So really just remarkable from uh, where, the, where the unit was about two years ago when there was a census as low as 11. So just dramatic work from that team. Um, the other thing I'll talk about is just the quality measures for the SNF and the subacute units um, as we closely monitor our five-star ratings, which include quality measures. We, we did see a, a dip in our quality measures from five stars to four stars, and a lot of that was related to return to the acutes. Um, and so that present percentage slightly increased, and a, a majority of that was as COVID started to come into um, the picture, uh, the teams were extra sensitive uh, to send patients to the acute that had respiratory issues or URI issues, um, just as we were getting our hands wet into what to look for, what to identify, how to treat, um, fit testing. Our SNFs were not um, completely fit tested. And so that's a task that the teams did um, within a month and a half period of fit testing the majority of all the staff from dietary to EBS to nursing in response to this, as well as education around swabbing, um, the different swabs that we have for COVID. So there was a, a pretty steep learning curve the teams have done a remarkable job. Now that um, we understand the difference between, and we didn't know this in the very beginning because it was all so new, that uh, the difference between surveillance testing and PUIs, right? In the very beginning, there wasn't clarity as to if you were uh, surveillance testing somebody, we weren't aware that, uh, and, and public health and, and CDPH were not uh, clear on this, that they were not considered PUIs. So they are, they are, treat it differently, right? Surveillance testing is you're testing the entire building just to see what's in your building as opposed to a response to potential um, symptoms that a patient is having, which would make them a PUI. So really those fine-tuned differences and nuances um, were a lot, what's part of that learning curve on how we were treating our patients within the SNF or if they needed to go to the acute. And now there's a higher level of knowledge and understanding of this virus and so uh, we're better equipped to manage this within the SNFs. So we're seeing our return to the acutes go back to normal, come down a bit from that uh, now that we have that better handled. Um, part of this is, you know, I've also been sitting on some committees. I've been asked to sit on a long-term care SNF task force with public health HICS, uh, the hospital council, as well as a long-term care subject matter expert committee again with public health, HICSA, public health EMS, um, the director of the ACCMA. Um, and then I also sit on the ACCMA uh, group, which is the medical directors is public health. And, and it's a response to how our county can help not only SNFs in the community, but assisted livings and boarding cares and home health agencies around COVID. And um, as I said, we were on a call earlier today, and I, and I think it really helped um, a lot of us uh, understand that some of these SNFs are single uh, mom and pop SNFs, and they don't have access to a lot of resources. They don't have access to a lot of um, subject matter expertise like Deborah Ellis and, and Fung Lee. And, and so uh, that group getting on a phone call with them and extending our services to help some of these SNFs in the community 
has been, uh, you know, really incredible for some of these buildings and, and for the patients and staff who really need support around this. And, and, and a lot of it is just, you know, education, right, and knowledge. And, and we really want to extend what we know, what practices we've, we've done to help. And so uh, it, it was just a really good opportunity for us on this call today to see how we're, we're going to be able to help some of these um, community SNFs uh, and assisted livings in our areas. Uh, well, thank you for the thank yeah, you for the report. That's kind of my quick <laughs> down and dirty. Okay, um, uh, Richard, when you presented at uh, the February QPSC, you know I asked my questions. Rank your top three concerns uh, in order. Do you remember what you said? I actually don't remember what I said. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it was number one surveys, number two surveys, number three surveys. Um, yeah. So, so uh, haven't you had uh, some uh, activity recently? Will you briefly apprise us of that? Sure. Um, so, the COVID and uh, CDPH has implemented surveys around infection prevention and mitigation plans, and so they're sure. surveying all SNFs in the community. So, on Tuesday this week, we had three surveys, uh, three different CDPH teams in Alameda um, for our subacute South Shore and Park Ridge facilities. Um, and all the teams did incredibly well. There were no findings. And there were a lot of accolades for those teams for, um, you know, one of the surveyors said, uh, we are doing things that they haven't even seen other buildings doing and, and they want to take them as best practices. And so the, the teams have done amazing work. So um, I, I think I will still say surveys as one, two, and three, as we are due for survey. Um, for our regular annual surveys. We know that they're probably going to be postponed mm -hmm. um, because with COVID, uh, CDPH had stopped a lot of their regulatory surveys and started doing these more specific COVID infection prevention surveys. So okay. we know it's coming. Um, and it would also be our first survey, full survey, um, with EPIC. And so that adds another layer of uh, newness to this. Okay. Um, so surveys are your one, number two, number three, those are your focus? in. I, I, so I would say surveys, one, two, just making sure that our staff um, are not feeling burnt out. It's, it's yeah. been a lot of change. It's been a okay. lot of effort and a lot of learning. So just making sure we're taking care of our staff and ourselves. Would that um, be your number three? I think that's my number two. I think that's my helping, surveys, helping you guys yeah. out. Yeah. It's not a surprise at this point. You guys know I'm going to ask you. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so so, so uh, trustees, any questions uh, for Richard's report on um, a really important element of our system post-acute? No questions, but I, I do want to just note that um, as the chair of the finance committee, when I look at potential places where we might be able to expand our business, I, I think of the, our SNP work, our post-acute work. That's a tribute, to Richard, to you and your team. Pretty Thank important. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I, I would. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Trustee Hernandez. I just want to compliment you, Richard, on the um, display of the data and the really important feedback that we've been getting about. You know, if it's not being measured, it's not being managed. So I just appreciate how quickly that was a great summary. Thank you. Mm, thank you. I appreciate okay. that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. With that, we will close out the SBU report item E. We will now move into item F, um, five minutes behind. Uh, we've allotted 10 minutes to this discussion, probably, not probably, certainly not enough. 
And just to recall, the IOP is a, is, is an area of uh, deep strategic discussion for this organization. And, and uh, navigating its challenges in 10 minutes is actually impossible. But, but I think bringing forth the concerns and questions, I think, is a really, really important thing to do in public format. Uh, uh, and further, I, I have committed to making this a regular recurring item until there's resolution on this. So with that, uh, Dr. Barbaria, hi, welcome. Thank you. Um, do you think I'll we can do this in five to ten to introduce <laughs> the, the inter, really your job is to inter, update us where we are and in, introduce the complexity because I know there's not a lot of answer. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with um, maybe an overview and then really can flesh things out based off of questions from the group. Um, so it. as a recap, all of you know, we have been talking for quite some time now about how we can better meet the behavioral health needs of our community. And that, you know, I don't have to tell anyone that given what is happening in our world right now, those needs are only increasing in both severity and number. Um, the challenges before us are that we do have an IOP model, which serves Medicare and Medicare patients only. So most of the patients are Medi-Medi at our Highland and Fairmont sites and is pretty much the main access point we have for outpatient behavioral health. We have small numbers of therapy patients who have mild to moderate disease being served at both of these sites, um, but they're in the sort of double, low double digits at both sites. Um, since we last spoke, we have been meeting regularly with the IOP staff and providers from both sites. And our SEIU um, rep, Ariana Casanova, has actually also joined our working group um, so that we can have an integrated com you know, conversation with our labor colleagues. And she's very passionate about behavioral health and it's been a great addition. So through that collaborative working group, we've been able to put together a final proposal for what a wellness center could look like. A wellness center model would be a contract with Alameda County Behavioral Health Care Services. It would allow us to serve the Medi-Cal population, which we currently cannot serve because all of that funding goes via the county. Um, as we know, 70% of the patients seen at John George um, and more than that in our wellness centers are Medi-Cal only. And so it represents a huge proportion of our population that in current state we cannot serve if they have severe mental illness. Um, I don't have tons of updates there because we've submitted the proposal and the budget to the county and are waiting to hear back. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19 and the significant financial pressures that the state and the counties are under, similar to what we're under, we just don't know um, when this program will be able to be funded. The county has reiterated their commitment to the model and their commitment to partnering with us, um, but we don't know if the finances will allow us to move forward with the wellness center in the short term. At the same time, we're also looking at things we can do to improve the financial sustainability of the IOP program. There have been numerous opportunities raised by the staff, such as profi billing, which we're exploring. Um, unfortunately, there are limitations to those. So while we can obtain profi billing for LCSWs and psychologists, we cannot obtain profi billing for MFTs um, just from a compliance you know, reimbursement standpoint. Mm. And that is the bulk of our staff in both of these programs. Um, so there, you know, Actually, we're looking- Dr. Barbaria, say that one more time. The bulk of our staff is not able to submit a bill professional billing. So we get facility fees for all of these visits, but we have not been doing professional billing previously. Yes. Um, the legacy of that predates my time. And so we are looking at, you know, for the types of staff for whom we can get professional fees, can we enroll them with our payers and maximize revenue? But, you know, it is a minority of our billings, not majority. 
Okay. Is that, is, uh, Palau, and, we are enrolling them. Uh, I just, uh, sorry to interrupt you if you have to say No, of course. Uh, the licensed social worker, we are enrolling them. Uh, we had a meeting today with Great. Sakira. And her Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hot off the presses. We've been working on that all week. So, um, and there, you know, other programs for this reason have pursued a different staffing mix in order to maximize outpatient revenue, which, you know, again, for reasons that predate my time, we, hit, we as an organization have not taken that approach with these programs. So we are trying to optimize um, the IOP, but the access challenges, you know, in terms of not being able to serve the vast majority of our population still remain independent of optimizing that revenue. Do, do you have a feel or, or, or and uh, of course, Dovecchio has been part of these conversations uh, about about those, those discussions with the county about the wellness center model that you alluded to? Um, do, 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 is this is it impossible to predict when they're going to give a disposition, or or do we feel that they need the first quarter of the fiscal to determine? Do we have a rough feel because it feels sort of like we're in terminal hold on on, on all these? We don't know which way to go, and just for the board to have a feel, when do we get the data to make a, a disposition on which way we're going? I'm going to turf that one to Del Vecchio if he has better updates, but I will say Smart you're not move. the only Smart ones. <laughs> all of the staff, myself included, all of the managers, we, we all want a disposition sooner rather yeah. than later. Yeah. So uh, I would say kind of the, 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 the fairly concrete, though not um, uh, final uh, uh, feedback we got several weeks ago from the county was uh, given where they were at the time and what they saw going forward, um, the directive was effective, effectively that they wouldn't be doing any new contracts. So contracts for new services. So I want to I want to be clear that they're not not answering us or not uh, giving us uh, clarity. They're giving us temporal clarity. Clarity in that uh, temporal clarity was this is not. While we uh, support the concept of a wellness uh, center and actually think it could work really well and would love to work with you on it until we get a different direction, the likelihood that we'd be able to do this via a new contract is is uh, pretty low. Now, that in that is a couple of kind of caveats. So via a new contract would be the, the main one. So, so the question for us has been, is there a mechanism underneath an existing contract that's adjacent to this type of uh, service and would be consistent with some of the directions we want to move in, where we might be able to add a different scope of service to that contract. So not a new contract for a new service, but new services added to an existing contract. Um, and that's where we are uh, we, we, we haven't actually followed up with the subsequent conversation on that front, but we have done uh, an actually conversation I was not in, but uh, I know that uh, Dr. Wise has uh, uh, had further discussion to define the model, to talk about the, uh, the sort of the uh, finances of it, some of the volume-based uh, uh, forecasts uh, uh, for it just fairly early on and a few weeks back. Now, that was going to be a precursor to revisiting the conversation of is there anything in that that would now produce the likelihood that we could uh, visit this via uh, this other model? So, so due to have that conversation, as you might imagine, again, complexities or um, competing priorities with their own budget, our own budgets, 
in our own budget. We're having another conversation with the exact same people around PES uh, as an option that we want to explore. Uh, so we're, we're kind of calibrating multiple conversations. Uh, this is certainly one of them, and we're trying to keep it moving because they're all in the same wheelhouse. Thank you, Delvecchio. Trustee Shaquin. Yeah, I just wanted to ask for a clarifying question. Do you have a sense of, uh, for a wellness center approach, what sort of funding um, would uh, come from the county to pay for that? Um, Dr. Barbaria may be able to say more, but let me just say from the wellness center perspective, what I understand, um, um, having kind of read our proposal, is uh, it would involve taking care of uh, the totality of the uh, population. So we're talking about the uh, mild to moderate and then the moderate to severe. And in the mild to moderate, uh, you are predominantly dealing with uh, uh, people who are covered under managed Medi-Cal, so that purely Medi-Cal group that she was talking about. That wouldn't require funding from the county. That would be either from the health plans or from Beacon uh, um, as the uh, um, uh, contracted vendor for behavioral health services. The SMI population, and I'm getting my own education on how people are designated that way and uh, on and off as their uh, conditions uh, warrant. Uh, but the bulk of that population are the population that go under the county mental health plan. And that is part of the population, a big part of the population we see at John George because some of the criteria is multiple admissions uh, over a course of a year, uh, ER visits, things like that. And so when they fall into that group, that would be the uh, population that would also be being served via the wellness center model that we uh, couldn't do without it. And absent a contract with the county, um, uh, we would have, and then, you know, the only thing we currently have is um, uh, IOP as a service for that population, but that population or that service is not one that the county wants to contract for. It doesn't fit within that model. So, so right. the things we're trying to be with. And so, I know I'm not answering your question exactly, but it would be a subset of that group for which that's the volume or the um, cohort of people we're uh, seeking to get a plan or a contract in place to serve them, and then the funding would sort of go along with that. So it's still, it would still be billing, though, even for the severe to mentally ill portion? That's correct. Most of contract through the county to pull that down from the state. Correct. And then just from a practice model, I mean, our hope would be actually now having this conduit for the uh, patients that would have a greater alignment of um, our ability to uh, um, have a continuity of service for these individuals. So we have placement opportunities uh, really integrated within the system so you can kind of see them well. And then the goal would be obviously to manage uh, symptoms and manage care as much as possible in a way that obviated or reduced the likelihood that someone would end up in PES or in, in John George. And right now, uh, for that population, again, because all we have is IOP and the county doesn't contract, we are uh, beholden to whatever the suite of services are in the rest of the community uh, for the county then to contract with and then uh, very loose or mixed sort of levels of integration and connection between our inpatient and PES services and th those providers such that there's like, you know, potential silos and uh, uh, not continuity, not great continuity of care. So. 
And just to um, answer your contracting question, most of we have a similar contract with the county for our substance use program at Highland. And so there's a base contract where we basically just get a lump sum to cover the staffing, you know, and other costs associated with the program. And it comes with minimum productivity targets. And then if you're able, you know, which determines how much of the dollars you draw down and then above and beyond that, you can draw down additional funding. So some of it is sort of analogous to billing, but some of it is more analogous to like a block grant or an MOU. Um, so it's a mixed contracting model is my understanding for it. And so what we've put forth to the county, you know, is it what I consider and I think the staff felt, you know, have provided a lot of input and we've tried to make it as robust as possible, it includes a lot of comprehensive services for patients. You know, obviously, can the totality of that proposal be funded? We, we don't know yet. And I think we'll need to at some point potentially prioritize of what we've asked for, you know, yes, peer counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, um, transportation, you know, if, if we can't get it all, what does that look like? So, so some of those costs won't be covered through a billing mechanism. It'll have to come from general fund dollars or Mental Health Service Act dollars. Uh, they could be general fund. It could be Mental Health Service Act. In this case, uh, one of the things that we contend with uh, with our uh, funding now is like this whole notion of uh, where do you allocate measure aid funding. Uh, and in this case, um, some of our financing so far, because uh, you know not everything is done in a very precise way, some of it we do kind of uh, crudely, uh, has been um, uh, associating Measure A as supplemental funding to cover some of the costs or the losses that we have in the IOP program, where it actually think about, well, but from the perspective of the population served via the IOP program, uh, the Medicare population, uh, that that's not a, a, a um, overly uh, compelling um, um, uh, use of, not inappropriate, but uh, allocation of the dollars of Measure A uh, per se. So uh, to the, your point here, going back to the behavioral health model, some of it would be, uh, it, there is a potential that uh, it could be losses in this context as well, but they could be less uh, and, and they could be uh, appropriately uh, uh, complemented by uh, discretionary or supplemental uh, funding that could be allocated and supported. So I trustee, sorry, trustee Shiklin, and then trustee Hernandez. Yeah, and I'll wrap up real quickly. I, I want. I, I know some asking a lot of finance questions, so I, I would propose actually okay. that that staff provide some uh, financial report at the next finance committee. I think uh, that'd be a great. Make it an. I said on the finance committee, make it an uh, its own agenda item. That's what I was thinking. So, and hopefully there'll be more information by then as well. But I, I will add that real quickly that uh, the reason I'm asking the questions I'm asking is that the county is under incredible uh, revenue uh, stress right now. Incredible. And I'm, I've never seen it this bad before, frankly. So um, I don't think this is a short-term problem. I think it's a multi-year problem. And we're going to have to make a decision about what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and then it's about about timelining and uh, discussions we should have and have at the full board. What would be the the date by which we need to make render a decision with data or without? You know, yeah. uh, Trustee Hernandez. Yeah, I I know that we've had a lot of discussions about the IOP uh, situation, and we've heard from staff. We've had presentations. We've had public comment a lot of very impassioned uh, requests to really save this program. And I just would like to ask management to perhaps come up with a 
process that we might have to use not only with IOP, but other programs in the future. And that process should be that we have three scenarios to choose from. Uh, one scenario is that we continue to find funding, uh, although, as I've said in the past, you know, if something costs 10 bucks and you've got $5, you can't buy it and you have to wrestle with that reality. But the other two scenarios that I think I would like to see always covered uh, would be um, that we look at, is there a potential to have a program moved into some other county operated uh, program? Uh, be very creative about what else is there that can be done about a program that people feel passionately about, but maybe it doesn't belong at uh, AHS, maybe it belongs in another department and can be funded through that uh, alternative. Uh, the third is uh, closure, but I, I don't feel like we can just say the doors close at 5 p.m. on such and such date. I think that there is a transition and that transition has to be thought out. And perhaps one of the reasons why it's so painful to have these discussions is that we seem to operate in a binary environment and it isn't, yeah. it's a gray. And we need those three doors to look at very carefully and what they mean, uh, not just for our patients, but for staffing and, and obviously our financial picture. And, and I just would like for that to be very clearly spelled out, hopefully in three or four slides on a PowerPoint, but I'm serious about the transparency that we need to have with staff. I do not want staff to fail to understand the financial picture about that decision. So I believe in open book management. If we need to reveal, this is the cost per person. This is what we can afford to pay. This is how much we uh, do not have to meet those needs. And we've tried and we can't. And those realities have to be out in the open so that when we make the decision, um, I, I'm certainly willing to take the heat that we had to make that call. And we said, you know, we chose the option to close, but there needs to be a process for closing these programs. That does not simply mean we shut the door and that's it. There's no transition. There's no effort to refer people or what have you. Um, so it, it's it's been a really bit much more difficult uh, than most uh, for this particular area because I know um, this population uh, is often the most uh, desperate, and and we know that they are very very much in, uh, needing the services. But I I just have to remind everyone that our job is to keep Alameda Health System operating. And we cannot operate at a loss forever. We cannot do that. There may be adjustments in budget, but we have to operate carefully, responsibly, and judiciously around limited funds. Thanks. Agreed. Thank you, Trustee Hernandez. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, um, so I, 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 I would just say for the record, we would um, just say I would never uh, um, support a situation where we just shut the doors on anything. Um, we, 
uh, we would absolutely, if we have to, even if it was just pivoting in an opposite direction, that is a very thoughtful process that has to occur uh, when it, it directly relates to how you're serving individuals. So uh, I know, and I'm pretty confident that our, our, our clinicians here and our administrative leaders would always um, approach anything of this nature to say, what is the what are the critical path to moving something in a way that we do the best we can to ensure that while something won't be the same, if this is the path that we pursue, that we have taken the steps to move it that way. And I'll, I'll, I'll share with you one of the statements that I made in the first meeting I did with this group was exactly that, that what I can commit to you is that there won't be any surprises here, that whatever the decision is, uh, there will be time to, so with that, there will be time to um, uh, pursue a path where we are humanely and appropriately, responsibly, uh, uh, dealing with everybody involved, uh, not just the patients, but the but the staff as, as well. Um, now, that's, you know, like everything else, uh, um, there's going to be varying opinions about uh, that. And I absolutely hear your point, and we take it. Please know we're doing everything we can to, to try to be as open, as, as transparent, as clear as we can. Um, uh, I just want to underscore the complexities of this is that uh, you often find yourself chasing narratives um, and um, uh, fact-finding or corroborating or refuting um, um, very appropriate beliefs that people have around what's possible and what isn't possible, what's happening and what's not happening, what impact or the magnitude of what's happening and what's not happening on the current situation. So we will do everything we can. We'll continue to do that. Um, um, I don't, uh, I would, I, I would love to be able to say to you, uh, at, at, at the juncture we do, every everybody would be on the exact same page. Um, I, I will assure you that we will try our best to do that. I, I suspect that given uh, the, 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 the range of opinions and emotions around this and beliefs around this, that that might be fleeting. But we will thank, thank I, you, that. Uh, Dr. Barbaria, and then we'll close with Trustee Shaquin. Um, just wanted to, I 100% agree. You know, no one is served by secrets. And I am proud to say that every single document, you know, you as the trustees have seen my last QPSC report, um, the entire proposal that we submitted to the county, the staff have seen every single one of those line for line. We've reviewed them collectively. They've seen all the financial analysis, you know, that um, we have and reviewed those in detail as well. Um, and, you know, certainly to that transition planning, both Del Vecchio and I, as well as Dr. Weiss have committed, you know, we don't, we think it's premature since we don't have a decision. And, you know, it's obviously very, upsetting, not just the staff, but to patients um, to think about the hypothetical, but that if and when a decision is made to change um, uh, to a different type of model, that we would take as much time as we need to ensure the safety and well-being and continued care of those patients. If it comes to that, we don't know yet. Um, and I know that the county as well has committed to that on their end, that they would partner and ensure that all patients um, do not suffer any degradation in their care. Thank you. Trustee Shaquin, take us. Yeah, so I would just, a word of caution. Um, I think uh, Trustee Hernandez's process is a good roadmap and I would encourage staff to pick that up. We cannot have this conversation all that long because there's outside entities of the grand jury in Alameda County has used the word insolvency to describe our current financial uh, pathway. And so, and I don't think that's uh, necessarily an exaggeration. 
Mm. We could get in a situation where we delay making decisions we need to make, and then we're forced into immediate actions that don't respect the ethics that were just very well expressed. Okay, that's my word of caution. I think those are words of wisdom. Uh, shame on me for allotting 10 minutes to that discussion, but uh, so that's why we're- Sorry, Taft. No, no, it's, <laughs> it, I, I, I'm the chair, it's on me. So, so, so no, don't, don't be sorry. It's a critical discussion. And again, a different challenge we have in our discussions. Well, that will close item F, and I'm 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 feeling a little guilty about shortchanging a little bit people who work very hard. So I'm going to give them time and give everyone advance notice. We're going to be in the bonus by about 10 minutes, maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Um, item G is regulatory affairs and patient safety. Let's try to do this quickly. But but Nilda Perez and Darshan Graywall do hard work, and I want to give them the respect of uh, allowing them to present quickly, <laughs> uh, but walk us through uh, uh, packet item G, the, just the, the, the top bullet points, if you don't mind. Uh, Nilda, do you mind leading us out of uh, regulatory affairs, uh, the document? Nilda, you on mute? Thank Darshan. you. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. There, <laughs> hi, Nilda. Hi, so sorry, I didn't realize I was still on mute. I apologize. No, okay. no problem. We just got a couple of minutes, so sure. highlight us if you don't mind. Right. Um, I did an update on the Joint Commission resurvey process. We can start on page three, and basically I'm just confirmed that we will be having a consecutive survey rather than a combined survey, and there's some detailed bullet points on what that will be. Um, just the highlights, the survey team will be small, they will be focused, and the survey should last for approximately three days. In preparation, Nilda, yes. What's your what's your feel on arrival potentially next week? Uh, no, no. Actually, uh, I was able to speak with the joint commission uh, and kind of poke at them and find out that we our county right now is not in a go ready status. So they're doing some evaluation work on that, and they will reach out to Del Vecchio and myself when they're ready to have a chat about whether we are ready or not. Nelda, can I ask you the hard question since we're short on time? Certainly. Are we ready? Um, we are not ready. We are okay. very close to being ready. Thank you for that honest answer. Sure. Okay. Okay. Just a little minor tweaking, but we've way improved. Um, okay. And so then I just wanted to share really quickly, and this will be my last uh, statement, is that we did an orientation to our command center process for activation of survey on June 5th. It was very well attended, um, very support. I, I appreciate all of the folks on this call, as well as other key leaders within the organization who participated in frontline staff as well. Uh, we prepared a command center process procedure uh, document packet for everyone and kind of oriented them to the process. So hopefully it will be um, a very smooth process and we will have every confidence in our ability to perform well in the upcoming survey. I think I will stop there because in the interest of time and allow my colleagues to also uh, finish out their report. Please let me know if there's any questions. So Nilda, apologies for your short timing. I just want to sure. say, you know, as a practicing clinician here, I'm I'm seeing your team move about and and guiding and educating, and uh, I I I continue to be impressed by your team. I think uh, uh, if we're not there yet, we're pretty darn close. So uh, exactly. I, I I don't want to jinx us and pre-congratulate you, but I know you guys have laid the groundwork for for success. Okay. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Tr trustees, any, any questions on the regulatory affairs part of item G? No. Excellent. Uh, hi, Darshan, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Phuket. Um, Thank you so for presenting. I apologize for shortchanging you. Uh, the, uh, Darshan is, of course, our Director of Patient Safety. She's going to walk us through the patient safety report. Yeah, there, um, there, was a, there was a final revision made to it, so some of the details are not uh, the current ones. So I'm going to just speak to it, Dr. Phuket. Yes, ma'am. And um, so I only want to highlight one area where you had posed a very thoughtful question during our last meeting about what does our overall harm look like? Um, we've, we're doing a lot of work. We had a lot of Sentinel events in the past, a lot of RCAs, a lot of, lot of activity going on. So we did actually a drill down analysis. And I, again, appreciate you asking these kinds of questions to make us think outside the box. So when we look at uh, fiscal year 2019, our actual harm rate, when you take the entire uh, safety alert submitted, um, so our percentage, our harm rate, that's significance from E through I, that, that situation reached the patient, and it could be from just monitoring all the way to um, permanent harm and our death. In uh, fiscal year 20, uh, 2019, our E through I harm rate was 4.41. Darshan, where you're, cu you're cutting out a little bit. Get a little closer to your mic. If okay. You so our harm rate um, last fiscal year was 4.41. We've made a lot of improvements, even though it seems like we're really, really busy and a lot of things are happening. But our harm rate has now dropped to 2.56, which is a 42% decrease in overall harm rate for the events that are E through I. The packet you have, Dr. Bouquet, is not the current one, and Rona will be updating it after this meeting. But okay. um, it was a great analysis, and I just I also want to congratulate um, the organization as a whole and all the work that's been done. We had no I event this year, so um, let's just hold tight for the next week. Mm. And um, we have made a lot of improvements over the past year. The, the disciplines that have been involved in all the events and all the um, improvement efforts that have been made in many of the processes. My, my thanks to you for adding uh, the, my, my request. I, you know, I hate making me, people do more work, but page 211 or page 4 of your packet is the events by significance. And this, I think this kind of standing report helps us to not, not only A, educate us when we're talking about what a harm event is and actually see the trend line uh well not actual line but the trend number i think this is it, it, this is a great document it's actually my favorite document of the of the packet because i've been kind of uh, dancing around asking this for years and it makes me wonder about if if this is an opportunity for one of our dashboard items um but but uh i guess we get to all contemplate that together um trustees do you have any other questions for Darshan's uh, safety report. Nope. And, and I, I, you know, uh, we're in a challenging time with a lot of stuff going on here, but we do need to take time to, to, to pat ourselves on the back when we do have some successes. So uh, I, I don't know why we wouldn't categorize a 40% drop uh, as, as a success uh, by standard measures, item E. Now let's continue to do better. So uh, with that, uh, we will close out item G. 
Apologies. We, we are at five o'clock right now, but we're going to get through this. Item H is the dashboard. I'm going to let Annette Johnson, uh, again, I want to give credit to the quality team, so I want to give uh, give them a little bit of line line. And, and Annette's going to quickly walk us through the existing dashboard, and then uh, Dr. Hussein will come on and contemplate what our opportunities are for the next iteration of the quality components of our dashboard. Hi, Annette. Hello. Thank you so much for making time for me. So I'll try to oh, be No, no, thanks brief. for all the work you do. Yeah, give us give us the <laughs> the, the quick tour. Okay. So um, in May, we saw, uh, May and April, we saw positive trends for uh, readmissions, length of stay, avoidable day, and easy throughput. Much of this could be contributed to the reduced volumes that we see during the pandemic. But I also think it's all a tribute to how well the staff has rallied together to make sure that we are really uh, prepared for COVID and facilitating patient throughput throughout the hospitals. Um, so it's been very positive. And also the um, some of the assistance with discharge placement, particularly for our vulnerable populations such as homelessness, has really helped with length of stay and avoidable day. Um, okay. For our harms and our HAIs are on track for the year. And then um, kudos to HCAPS that continues to climb despite sort of the limitations um, with visitors and other um, things as a result of COVID. Our staff, um, you know, that focus on human connections um, is really helping during this time of COVID when our patients do not have the family and visitors that they would normally have during their stay. Uh, CG caps also saw an improvement this um, beginning. This represents March data, just early, very early on in the COVID outbreak, and um, we did see a decline in the volume of surveys returned. It has to do with the fact that we have less in-person visits to survey on as we moved to telehealth. To respond to that, Preston has offered us for free a telehealth survey so that we can continue to monitor patient satisfaction, regardless of whether we see them in person or we see them virtually. So that, that's very promising. It'll allow us to track both our satisfaction in both settings and also to compare them, um, which might add some valuable insights. The one area where um, the recent events are sort of having a negative impact is Prime and Quip. Um, much of Prime and Quip is focused on population health and health screening, many of which had to be deferred in light of COVID. So um, the good news, the good news to this is that the state recognizes that and does not wish to penalize us. In fact, they're making every best effort to work with us to reset targets because they understand the, that we need this funding now more than ever. So um, they are working with us. We are in negotiations. And once we have finalized proposals, we'll bring that to the board. Wow, that was a quick tour. That's uh, amazing <laughs> data data that you walk us through there in that. Trustees, any questions on, as relates to the current existing dashboard that Annette just nicely walked us through? Okay. With that, we'll segue into Dr. Hussein. Hi, Tanvir. Um, Apologies on short timing this. Uh, I own that. I didn't manage my time uh, as best. But it's it's a big question that we have that we're going to try to uh, at least hit the surface of in these eight minutes or so. Give us your give us kind of your opinion on what elements we should carry forward with our True North uh, dashboard for next fiscal and or other. Uh, I've said it again. I'll say it again. Contemplations we might have. And, and you've probably been privy in ELT discussions, and I'll let Delvecchio chime in if there's anything uh, all, all uh, 
time at 504. Uh, so question, what is your vision, uh, what is your recommendation and vision for quality related TNM metrics, these 12 uh, for next year? It is actually very difficult to follow up my, the leaders of my department. They did such a nice job. So, um, and they've actually set the stage for what I think is a really important conversation, which is we are making progress. We've developed some really good infrastructure measurement processes. Um, now we need to sustain our progress and ensure that we are creating high reliability around some of these core processes. So, um, my vision is for most of the True North metrics we, for quality safety experience that we hold steady on them. We keep the same metrics, um, recalibrate the benchmarks to be a little more aggressive, um, and um, focus on really uh, standardizing the process metrics that help us understand the drivers of these outcomes. Because by doing that, we will begin to inculcate really a daily management leader management system about how do we improve access experience and quality and safety so for example um, uh, there are some some uh, exceptions in the access pillar for example um, the, our ambulatory leaders are considering is that clinic uh, throughput time still appropriate in light of how care transformation is occurring in the ambulatory space so that is still a pending item that dr babaria and the team are thinking through um, but I, uh, for the ED throughput time, I think that's a critical piece of hospital throughput. We've made significant effort, uh, but we need to keep an eye on that. And one of the benefits of EPIC implementation is now that we, we can measure that across all three facilities. So I'm recommending moving away from a focus on Highland to all three facilities and recalibrating the benchmark for that. Um, continuing uh, observe to expected length of stay and avoidable days. But what I'd like to bring forward in the narrative is more standard reporting of process metrics. So we understand when we see fluctuations and variation in length of stay of unavoidable days, what they are, and we have clear process metrics um, to uh, drive our performance. And the quality pillar, um, you heard already in that talk about QIP and crime will reflect performance metrics based on how the state decides to measure um, uh, that. Um, we're beginning to look at the leapfrog methodology the team is. Uh, to see if there are any harms or infections that we're not currently capturing in the True North metric dashboard that could be incorporated into our composite scores. Um, and we are looking at continuing to um, look at readmission uh, with the possibility, however, of those standard process metrics around readmission. For the experience pillar, we it is my goal to get the organization at least to 50th percentile. We're really close, but we need to get there and sustain it. Um, and for CG caps, uh, we're working with Prestini and Ambulatory to figure out how we calibrate um, telephonic uh, visits with uh, in-person visits. So, so there's some work there. Um, we had a nice discussion about equity. So I think there's an opportunity in the coming months to make sure that um, that that how that is somehow captured either in the heady work or in the True North metrics. But I'd rather like to see those as integrated rather than separate. Um, and um, um, so those are my high-level reflections. I think. These keep us on track with public reporting. They are the vast majority of what most organizations look at and benchmark. And they also inculcate some of the standard processes we need for continued high reliability that overlap with other patient safety and regulatory aspects. Okay. Um, uh, my, my comments, so uh, again, a very nice presentation. It makes sense to keep 
the majority of these, uh, uh, the, the ambulatory appointment time I get this, I get uh, in light of COVID, how that has been altered. I guess things, I, I, I want us to focus on equity and, and like we are. So when Trustee Hernandez was making some comments about some of the things that the Hetty Committee had discussed, she made an interesting one, which we could potentially track. She said, tracking social determinants of health. That, that might be our starter. But again, again, I don't know how good that data is. I want, and, and we're not gonna have that discussion now, but maybe it's something, that's, that's our entree into an equity thing. Tracking social determinants of health in, I'm making it up, 80% of admitted patients or, or, or ambulatory patients. That's, that, that could potentially be our first foray into equity, an E3 item. Um, the next thing is um, uh, the harm scores E and above. That, I mean, that, that gets to the heart of safety right there. And, and it makes me wonder whether that could have a position on our board. You just dropped it 39%, man. Wouldn't, isn't that something to be proud of from a strategic and system point of view for our organization? Isn't this something that we would, I mean, this is a banner of the things that we do. And I think that's a shining, uh, one shining piece of a banner. So I'm gonna ask you to contemplate those things. This actually, the, I, I set this up as a dialogue, uh, how we, I think how we officially have to do this, I'll defer to council. This has to be, we had to vote on this. We didn't vote on it till like July of last year. Could you put together this items and we'll make this an actionable item for next month? Is that acceptable to you, Del Vecchio? Okay, um, so put, put that together. If you don't mind, preload the trustees with what you were thinking so we can do, so we don't have to make a decision in real time at the next meeting. But I, I, I agree with the concept of largely keeping this and tweaking, but man, I would really love to have some type of equity thing con, uh, conceding. It'll be imperfect at its first version. So maybe it's something easy as tracking the social determinants of health because that's in Epic, right? True. Uh, some of them are in Epic. Uh, some of them we, we, we track in other ways through our uh, um, uh, health path, but uh, health advocate work. So we, but is, is that a data set, Delvecchio, that we can at least get some wrap or and I that's don't, always I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn. It's, 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 I can look into it. I, I don't know for certain, but I, I know we do have uh, data on it uh, through uh, health advocates, but I don't know about that. Maria, Trust, Trustee Hernandez. I actually did speak with a consultant from Epic for a uh, related matter. And Epic has released a module, I believe they're called Z10 codes. And these codes are uh, to help. Yeah, we, we are able to ask some pretty interesting questions. Uh, it, it ranges from food insecurity to unemployment to transportation barriers. So. Those social determinants of health that we know play a role really are available. It's more the problem of how you collect that and whether or not everyone has um, access to those features inside Epic. And I won't go diving into that because that's out of my wheelhouse, but my assumption is that Epic has created those. It's now a matter of Dr. Hussein's team and others asking the question, uh, do we need training on collecting that? Are they all turned on? Do they make sense to collect in every single encounter? All, all of those factors I think need to be addressed, but thank goodness we have Epic to be able to even have a screen that offers the option to collect that data, so. Agreed. 
So, Doctor Hussein, my ask of you is to is to work uh, with uh, Del Vecchio and the rest of the EL team to land on a set of proposed uh, uh, metrics, quality related. Give those to the three of us uh, before, so we have, can do a little bit of reading, and get, that gives us something to act upon as a vote at the next uh, at the next QPSC fair. Yes, uh, the model that we used uh, last year was um, what we'll do, or Annette will masterfully do, is actually to mock up what the uh, new True North metric dashboard will look like with the proposed benchmarks as well. So we will get that uh, into a highly visual form for you all to review. Got it. Trustee Hernandez. Yeah, one last fine point about this. Um, there are a lot of things that you can gather around social determinants of health. And I forget where I was and when I heard it, but I know I heard this, I didn't make this up. There are some social determinants of health that are far more impactful on, on outcomes. And I believe one of those was food insecurity. Makes sense, obviously, but let's ask this question. We may have a range of things to select from, Dr. Hussein, but maybe we also need to cut through some of that and say, gee, of all 10, maybe these are the three or the mm. four that really make the most sense because they most impact our health outcomes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for that discussion all. With that, we will close um, item H. Um, uh, item I is the planning calendar. So for planning calendar, it's it's already there. We'll just add on a vote about uh, uh, TNM dashboard items. With that, I will close item I. And uh, I will now go to item J, legal counsel. Uh, Mr. Pena, I believe you're standing in for uh, Mr. Moy. That is correct. Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. So uh, okay. the QPSC committee made in closed session and consider and approve as presented and amended the credentialing reports of the two medical staff. The committee took no further action. Wonderful. With that, we close uh, item J. We're at plus 15 minutes of performance to date. Um, apologies. Um, we, I will see everybody uh, in uh, the full board. This closes uh, QPSC. Uh, Thank you all.